You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you one more time about our annual audience survey. So every year we conduct an audience survey to learn more about you, to get your feedback, and to really help shape Revision Path for the future. To take the survey, go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. It only takes about five minutes or so to finish, and it would really help us out a lot. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. The survey will close at midnight Eastern time on May the 1st, and we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Also, I talked about this a few episodes ago, but uh, for those of you who don't know, I, Maurice Cherry, host of Revision Path, um, I'm putting together a design anthology with Envision that's called Recognize. Now, Recognize is a group of essays and commentary on design from indigenous people and people of color. Now, we had a big submission period from March the 1st to April 15th, but many of you wrote me and said you needed a little bit more time to get your submissions in, so I got you. So if you need more time, we just extended the deadline to April the 30th. So go to recognize.design. Again, there'll be a link for that in the show notes, recognize.design. Check out the About page. Check out our No Harm Guidelines and send us your work. The theme is space. Your submission should be 3,000 words or less. There's all that information on the about page. But again, that's recognize.design. The new deadline for submissions is April the 30th. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to Dexter Ferguson, a product designer for Airbus Aerial here in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Dexter Ferguson, and I'm a product designer. Uh, I currently am at Airbus Aerial in Atlanta. I'm also lead designer for Tribe in uh, in Baltimore. And uh, and more recently, uh, I would say founder of DebtBennies.com. Wow. Well, we'll get into all of that, but let's start out with what you're doing here in Atlanta. Tell us about Airbus Aerial and like what's a what's a typical day like for you working there? First of all, Aerial is uh, is you know part of Airbus, and Airbus is one of the largest, if not the largest, company in uh, in Europe. And so you know they've been around for a while, but uh, we have the benefit of you know having a lot of autonomy. We're we're consider we consider ourselves a startup. Uh, we've only been around. Aerial has only been around for about. Uh, a year and a half, almost two years now. And um, and so here what we do is we're basically building a platform that allows our customers to uh, acquire, manage, analyze, manipulate um, aerial data. And that could be aerial imagery from our own constellation of satellites, uh, our own drone vendors, or from our customers, um, you know, drone programs that they might have. Um, and they can ingest all of this into our platform, uh, and we basically help them reach decisions on the properties that they um, that they have to, you know, watch over, manage, uh, whatever it is they have to do. A lot of our customers tend to be insurance companies, uh, so we basically help them easily make a, a decision on whether or not, you know, uh, a, a property that they might have is damaged or. Um, needs to be paid out because of a claim. Uh, so that's that's what I'm working on here. Day to day, it tends to be, you know, meetings with the dev team, key stakeholders, um, collab sessions with uh, the other designer here, um, and, you know, time to work independently. I think that's, you know, fairly typical for, for most product designers. And how long have you been there now? So I've only been here since uh, November of last year. Okay. So relatively new. And now you're doing that, but then you're also working at tribe, which you said is in Baltimore. So I guess that's kind of a remote kind of design position. How does that work? Yeah. So I started working with tribe when I was, uh, when I was back home, uh, before moving to Atlanta and I had basically been working with them for quite some time on, uh, this platform that we're developing. It's a, a worker owned talent platform. And, uh, 
And it was an opportunity that came about because I, I was basically while I was in in uh, in Baltimore, I was basically looking for ways to to meet people and see what the scene is like there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. And what I ended up tapping into was more of the tech scene. There's a group in Baltimore called the Baltimore Black Techies, and uh, it's a good group of people over there. And basically, just ended up uh, going to the meetups every Thursday, I think it was. And uh, while I was there, ended up connecting with a few a few guys, and uh, one person in particular had this vision for this uh, this worker owned platform, um, and really building a like a community and a team around that. So I ended up working, starting to work with them before coming down here to Atlanta, and uh, decided to continue continue that work while I'm at Airbus. So uh, again, that's more you know on the product side, uh, mm-hmm. which is nice. I get to sort of express myself, um, you know, with, uh, within the, the Airbus world and, you know, within the tribe world as well. So, uh, it's nice. It, it can be challenging though. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of work to try and do it all, but it's a, it's a good opportunity. Yeah. And for listeners that don't know when, uh, Dexter's talking about Airbus, they, they deal with aerospace. So like planes and drones and things that you mentioned before. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We're, uh, uh basically one of Boeing's biggest competitors mm-hmm. you know any anytime you take a flight you're usually they're flying in a, a boeing or airbus plane that's true i i'm a flight geek so i tend to pay attention to that <laughs> i really like i like the airbus a320s and the 321s there you go yep. really nice <laughs> i think a lot of people like them now you know with everything going on with boeing so yeah that's true people are paying attention now i mean i heard yeah. about the the 737 max is being grounded and and I think, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I heard recently that Boeing is putting out this uh, this software update, and I feel like this is the first time that I've ever heard of an aerospace manufacturer making such a big uh, public announcement about a software update. Yeah, um, I, I'm not really sure, you know, like the history of uh, of things, things like that, and how you know. Um, airplane manufacturers deal with these type of issues mm-hmm. but i know with this one uh it's it's such a a large issue the fact that these airlines are grounding these planes yeah. um they're trying to they're trying to make a big deal out of uh making it seem like a simple a simple fix you know so i yeah. think they want to get that across so people don't fear riding on the planes because then if you start having if these airlines start having people who are you know have to take a flight and they find out they're on a 737 max and they say no i'm canceling my flight (laughs) i don't want to go anymore right you know that that's not good for anybody so um you know i don't know if it's really as simple as a software update but uh, i know that's that's i think from my understanding the goal is just to try and make it seem that way at least yeah i can see them trying to do this to make sure that they you know not just drum up more public trust but also trust from like the airlines and you, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. you know just want to make sure that you know that everything is going good. we're not going to go not trying to get too much into that part but i know that that's something that certainly is is very uh prevalent at the moment yeah now when you started out, you weren't doing product design. When you started at uh, at Northeastern University, you majored in graphic design. Tell me what your time was like when you were there. Yeah, well, um, I, I really, so I, I got into design um, or my passion for design really started when I was in high school. Uh, I took a digital imaging course uh, where I was basically taking photos for the yearbook. And uh, in that course, we ended up learning how to use Photoshop. So from the, you know, once I started learning how to use that tool, uh, I, you know, began experimenting and, you know, like a lot of people, you end up becoming like the flyer guy at your school. Anytime there's a party or or some type of event, mm-hmm. um, I always ended up making a flyer. So I thought, you know, I, I want to do this in college. And um, I didn't know what this was. I didn't know what it was called. And so I had to do a lot of research and, you know, I was looking for schools that had anything from you know, computer graphics to, yeah, digital imaging was another thing. But eventually came across graphic design, ended up going to Northeastern. And um, at the time, you know, I, I graduated in 2012. And at the time, you know, when I started, which was uh, 2007, it was, uh, there was, there was no such thing or it wasn't really as common to hear the, the term like product design. I think that's a, that's, 
relatively new, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so graphic design was, you know, the the main, that was like the buzzword at the time. I, I would tell people I'm a graphic designer. They're like, oh, uh, a lot of people, they, they they need graphic designers. You know, that's that's a hot industry to be in, you know. So um, for me, that's that's what, you know, that's how I got started. It was primarily print um, and things like, you know, learning typography and, uh, and you know, Gestalt principles and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it was great. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, I really thought I was going to be working for, you know, those large studios, um, and, uh, you know, possibly working for an agency. Like I, I really like uh, branding. That's, that was one of my favorite things to do as a designer. And, um, I thought that was, you know, that was going to be me you know, forever. I thought I was just going to be doing branding projects and, you know, be the guy that's on brand new and, you know, releasing things on Dribble every other day and stuff like that. But, um, but I, I eventually figured out that, you know, there are more disciplines within design and, mm-hmm. um, and print print was, you know, it's, I still enjoy it, but, um, there are a lot of things that uh, about it that, um, that, you know, I, 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 did, I wasn't really a fan of. I, I think the it, it's a bit inflexible. You know, I, I really do appreciate uh, the ability to like, iterate, um, you know, when it comes to the digital design. So uh, so I, I, I was able to make the transition. It, it wasn't necessarily the easiest transition, but um, but yeah, I, I was able to make it from print. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still do some print design work and I'm still, you know, interested in branding. But for the most part, I, I'm more focused on, you know, product design at this point. So let's talk about kind of the early moments of your career. As you mentioned, right when you graduated college, you wanted to kind of do this major design agency work. And you ended up working for a company called BTE. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. What was that experience like? So the the reason behind that is because I actually the school that I went to Northeastern, um, they have what's called a co-op program. And you can the idea behind it is that you end up it's a five year program. And by the time you graduate, you end up uh, with a year of actual work experience under your belt. So it's supposed to give you this competitive edge. And uh, one during one of my co-ops, I ended up working for Under Armour. Um, in their rookie program. Mm -hmm. And that was really my first taste of what it was like to be a designer in the the corporate world and be part of a company that has a, you know, fairly large design team. And while I was there, uh, you know, as a rookie, they expose you to a lot of different aspects of the company and you get to work on these fun, interesting projects. Uh, when you're when you're doing the the task associated with just the the, the rookie program, but then there was another mm-hmm. piece of it where you had to also uh, work on you know projects for the actual department that you were a part of. So I was part of the brand marketing department, and whenever I switched from doing the rookie work to doing the brand marketing work, um, it wasn't that fun for me. Uh, a lot of the things that we had to do, you know, I, you always envision, oh, Under Armour, I'm going to be building these amazing campaigns and working with these athletes and, you know, capturing these photos. And and that's not, you know, how it actually works in real life. You know, mm-hmm. most of the stuff that I was working on was designing signage um, for like Dick Sporting Goods. And I'm talking signage as in, you know, a black background, some uh, uh, the name of the product, a descriptor, and the logo. Mm-hmm. And just basically it, assembling stuff instead of actually creating things. So um, so for me, I, I sort of realized that I did not want to, you know, go back to Under Armour at that time um, because I wanted to, I wanted to have more creative input and sort of stretch myself, uh, you know, wherever I was at. So I decided to work for a smaller company and ended up finding BTE. And yeah, I stayed there for quite a while. Uh, I stayed there for about six years. Wow. Which, you know, yeah, I, I would say it was it was a bit too long. <laughs> but but it was, you know, while, while I was there, it was still a good experience. I mean, six years with a company, that's a that's a long that's a long time in this industry. Six years is how did you how do you feel like you 
changed as a designer throughout those six years? Well, you know, you, you say that. And, and for some reason, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> like I, I was still I was still <laughs> listening to my parents. And, you know, they, they always said, you know, stick with a company, show that you're loyal. This is, you know, this is all good stuff mm-hmm. um, that people want to see on your resume. And, and so I, I was OK with sticking around. But what I didn't realize until later on was that um that's that th- things have changed and you know a lot of my peers they're you know they're moving to companies you know every two to three years yeah. you know and i'm and i'm still at bte and so for me the the experience though it was it was definitely good early on um i did you know as far as the reasons why i decided to go there um you know to have that creative input that i was seeking um, it, it basically had all of that. The only other designer on the team was the the guy I was working under. So, um, so it was very easy for him to say, "Hey, Dexter, we have to do X, Y, and Z. You know, come up with some ideas. You know, build it out the way you want to build it out. Execute. You know, all that stuff." So I really had a chance to um, to you know try a bunch of different things, and um, and I also did things that I wouldn't typically do as, you know, a product designer. Uh, I'm working on marketing campaigns, um, you know, various email campaigns. I'm going to trade shows around the country. I'm doing audio video uh, setups and, and just things that you, you just, when you're at a larger company, uh, you're not necessarily mm-hmm. exposed to. So for me, that was, that was a huge reason why I stuck around. Um, but I eventually had this epiphany moment where I realized I'm I'm growing in the sense that I'm learning all these different things I wouldn't typically learn. But as far as my career path goes, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not moving in that direction. I'm sort of just like stretching, <laughs> but I'm not I'm not moving. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I needed to I needed a change. And um, and so, yeah, it, it took me six years to realize that. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's something really important that you hit on there. Uh this this parental advice about staying in one place and kind of making, you know, making a name for yourself there. I think that especially in this industry with as fast as things move with design and technology, that advice just doesn't stick anymore. It does. It really doesn't. It doesn't. I was seeing something online recently about uh job hopping and how it was it was I don't know, probably some old person said it, but they were saying something about how, like, you know, millennials need to stop job hopping and stay at one place. And it's like you do realize that regardless of which industry you're in, whether it's media, whether it's design or technology, I mean, one technology affects all of this, but also things are changing so rapidly that, like, you have to keep up with the times. And that may not be at the place that you're at, you know. I mean, if you're at a place, like you say, for six years and you're able to kind of grow and stretch yourself that's good but if you don't feel like you're pushing yourself in your career like you got to go to the next thing and i mean i think it's good that you were able to realize that and see that um i wouldn't look at those six years i mean i'm not saying that you look at it as a negative but like i wouldn't look at that as a bad thing i mean six years that is a good bit of time really to just learn a lot of stuff and i'm sure you bring that to what you're doing right now at Airbus and uh, with Tribe. Yeah, that is one thing, you know, it really was on me to to learn what I I needed to learn um, to be able to make that transition. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, early on, I mean, if you think about it, if that's my first job out of college, then my portfolio uh, the way the way it typically works for me, and I feel like this is the case for um, some designers, but uh, for me especially, I, I kind of build my portfolio in anticipation for getting that next role, or at least that's what mm-hmm. I did at the time. So, so my portfolio, um, you know, six years after graduation, looked exactly the same as when I applied for the job, and so the the type of projects that I had in there were, you know. Uh, branding projects and um, it's just a lot of print and I'm over here chasing a you know a UX UI role so no, none of that's going to translate and that's not going to that's not going to show well to a to anybody who's trying to hire me for a role like that so I there was a lot of things I had to learn you know even how to uh, present myself to them mm-hmm. um, I had to you know 
I had to take on some self-initiated projects and I had to do like the actual case studies and learn like it's it's not about showing the final product. I know or, that was another thing early on. It was just like, oh, yeah, my portfolio can just be a site full of the end product and, the you know, the pretty pictures and all that stuff. But it's not like that anymore. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you just show a portfolio like that, you will not get the looks that you're looking for. You know, um, I think it'll it may show well for people that don't know what they really want. But for people that know what they really want, they can see past that easily. So I had to learn to, you know, h- how to present myself. And um, I had to, you know, write up the process and uh, really show that I have put in the work and also have the understanding of um of the actual process to really get to a a good final product that's informed by something, you know? Yeah, that is, I I tell that to designers all the time about how they need to make sure that their websites are not just, it's not just a photo gallery. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't just show off, oh, I can do, you know, these pretty, you know, works and things. Partially because one, like professional mock-ups, like, you know, the kind of mock-ups you can drag into yeah, yeah. Photoshop with smart objects. Like, you can damn near get those for free now. Yeah, so yeah. anybody can have a really nice, professional, polished-looking end result. Mm-hmm. But if you can't talk about how you got to that result, like what was your methodology, what was the design kind of you know process like, what was it like going back and forth with stakeholders, if you can't articulate any of that... um then you're just like, I tell people like, it's like uh, hiring a mechanic, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, you can go and like fix the parts on the car, but you're just kind of showing you're a capable set of hands. Like, yeah, you're not yeah. showing that you really can understand what the problem is and how you can use design uh, to fix it, you know? Yeah. That's why it's, it's funny to me when people submit like dribble links as their portfolios and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I appreciate <laughs> the amount of work that goes into creating a new you know, post and dribble every day or other day or however, however often people tend to do it. But but yeah, it, it, there's never any explanation around it. You never know. Like, what what is it that this person is trying to solve for? Yeah, it just looks great. So when you said you kind of had to to learn this process were you just learning this on your own with someone else telling you kind of, hey, this is what you need to do. Like, how did how did you come to that realization? Luckily, you know, nowadays, everybody loves sharing things. So there are plenty of resources online. Um, Medium is one of my favorite sites. Uh, I think it was uh, a great tool for seeing how people would, you know, present these problems that they were solving for and the process that they went through to, to, uh, to tackle them. And so uh, I was doing a lot of reading. Um, I, I was picking up books um, on things like like the field guide to human centered design and, and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, basically just trying to understand like what what is this world of product design? You know, like I, I had an idea of what it was, but I didn't fully understand everything that was involved with it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I did have to I did have to do a lot of reading. And so, I, what made me realize that epiphany moment that I had. Um, while I was at BTE was as I was, you know, reading this stuff and found myself getting more interested in it and, you know, discovering all these different frameworks that people were using to solve these problems and, you know, um, how they approach design and how design was more like informed by something versus just like the, the people in the room who, you know, have gut feelings about, you know, about things. Um, it was, you know, instead informed by an actual user and conducting interviews and things like that. All of that intrigued me. And so I tried to bring some of that into BTE and um, it, w- it wasn't really working. And so mm. uh, I just, you know, I, at that point, I said, you know, I, I got to I got to go somewhere where this is this. You know, People understand that there is more of a process associated with this and, and people have invested the time or are, have already bought into that. And um, I can I can really be like immersed in it. So. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of reading online. Uh, I, I, you know, knowing some people who work at other companies, I would ask a lot of questions about how they would do it. But um, but, yeah, just reading and then actually just just trying things like, you know, I said I try to bring it into BTE. I try to apply 
uh, when I first learned about atomic based design, mm. that's a, you know, that's something that's intended for like websites and building out design systems. And I actually try to use some of those tools for a print based project that I was working on at BTE. Not all of it translated perfectly, but um, but I was able to really, you know, try something new, try a different approach to, a, a, you know, design problem that we were trying to solve. And uh, and the end product turned out great. And that actually was one that ended up on my portfolio. I was able to write up a whole uh, case study about it. So. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, actually not just reading, but actually trying to apply the stuff that you're reading. Yeah, we do. We do like a I think we have like a modified version of atomic design with what we do at Glitch. And it's it differs between the work that we do. Uh, with our product, which is the editor, mm-hmm. and also through some of the like graphic design and print products. So like, for example, we've got this large, uh, I almost want to call it like a periodic table, if we're extending this metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> we have like a periodic <laughs> table of design elements that we use, and we kind of pick and choose from that to create banners and tiles. And mm-hmm. But we also use it in slide decks, and we use it on you know, um, one pagers and things of that nature. So it's like all pulling from the same general family of stuff to make sure that we've got our, our general kind of look and feel across all our different properties. And then, you know, we sort of take those atoms and we form molecules and we form organisms, very similar to kind of that atomic design methodology. Exactly. Exactly. So you're a product designer in Atlanta, which I have to say, I think is pretty rare. Really? I say, I, yeah, because, I think that the schools here largely, and I, I mean, I'm pretty sure someone from Atlanta will tell me I'm wrong here, but, uh, I feel like the schools in Atlanta really teach a lot more of the kind of practical, I don't want to say practical, a lot of the graphic <laughs> design, web design, sort of like what you said you were learning in Northeastern. Like that's what they teach. And then people who graduate from those programs tend to go into more discrete design positions, like say they're a graphic designer at AT&T or they're, a web designer at Home Depot or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the product design moniker is something that has been mostly used by more design focused companies that are like in New York or um, San Francisco or something like that. Um, the people I know out here that are product designers, they're usually working for a company that's headquartered in one of those places. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess the title just sort of carries over. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I've been, it's been rare for me to find product designers here. And certainly people will ask me about like, where are the product design jobs in Atlanta? I'm like, I don't know. I could not tell you. It's a different story. If you ask me about just regular web design, graphic design, I mean, those are almost like a dime a dozen here. It feels like. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I feel like, um, Atlanta has this like burgeoning tech scene and, um, and I, you know, I've come across a few companies that seem to be, uh, you know, looking for product designers. I know I, I'm in Pond City Market and, you know, even within PCM, we have uh, MailChimp. Yep. They are always looking for product designers. Uh, I know Home Depot. I don't know if you've heard, but Home Depot is <laughs> their whole design team has grown immensely. I I don't know the exact number, but when I heard how large the design team was over there, um, how how much it has grown, I should say. Uh, Oh, they've they've got hundreds. They've got hundreds of designers. Yeah, it's crazy. And and you know, of course, it's all very you know, it's it's different disciplines. So you can have uh, a product designer, but you can have like ten UX writers and. 30 mm-hmm. UX researchers and all that stuff. So, um, but I know that they, they seem to be more uh, design centric now more than ever. Um, and, you know, companies, I, I know there's a, what cabbage and uh, mm-hmm. cardlytics is in PCM also. And so there, you know, there are some companies out here. I, I think more people are, seem to be moving to, um, seem to be moving to Atlanta. I know Bevel, they, they recently moved to, uh, or, not Bevel isn't the They're name. about to. Yeah, they're about to move yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's it called? What's his name? Uh, Tristan. Tristan Walker. Yeah, Walker. Yeah, yeah, Walker and Company. So I think they're looking for for designers as well. It's starting to change. I will say that. Um, I just know uh, even just as as far back as maybe two or three years ago, 
it was really difficult to find that unless you were kind of coming in through a larger company that maybe already had product designers in their general workforce, like a Facebook or something like that. Um, yeah. So maybe I, I want to say that the the job market tide is changing, but certainly not the the pipeline into that market through an Atlanta design institution. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, oh, I'm being, I, I'm being very, yeah. Like, right. like if you go to say uh portfolio center or the art Institute of Atlanta, right. or even if you take a design, well, man, that might be a little different if you take a design course at like tech or Georgia state or something, but certainly at some of these more traditional art institutions, mm-hmm. they're not equipping those students to go out and work in a product design uh, capacity. They're mostly working as like a copywriter or a mm. graphic designer and like in these more kind of discrete, almost specialized type of design roles. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like schools tend to be a little bit behind the ball, especially with how quickly the um, the industry is, is changing yeah. uh, and also just growing. Uh, so I feel like it, it, it's kind of hard for them to keep up and build a curriculum around, um, you know, product design. Because, you know, they're just not as nimble as, you know, some of these like General Assembly boot camp yeah. uh, type of situations. So. Um, so, yeah, even at even when I was at Northeastern, I remember they were teaching me uh, Flash. Oh, and we, we were learning. <laughs> yeah, we were learning how to use. What Flash. year was this? My professor even. This was probably 2008 or nine. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. And the teacher even said Flash is dying. But this is just the correct. <laughs> and I, said, I'm, I was upset. <laughs> why, why am I? I can believe that. I can believe that. I yeah. taught design in like twenty, like twenty ten, twenty eleven, and they were still teaching table based design <laughs> for websites. And I had to go to the dean and say, "Look, I will rewrite the curriculum myself to show them how to use CSS because." you are setting all these students up to fail. Right. They're going to graduate right. and they're going to have this table based design and people are going to laugh them right <laughs> out of right out of their offices. They're not going to get hired. I will say that, you know, even though the the curriculum isn't necessarily uh, like product focused and you don't learn, you know, about those different frameworks and all the terms and, you know, uh, things that pertain more to UI UX design, um, mm-hmm. understanding you know, fundamental design principles, I think it's still, it's still very important uh, to be a, uh, you know, just a good designer in general. Like, I think those skills transfer over to at least, you know, the UI space. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I'm glad I had because, uh, because I can, I feel like it's easier for me to learn the methodologies of a UX designer than it is for a UX designer to, learn to be um uh like a, a strong visual designer because that takes like honing your eye a bit yeah and um i feel like that that's a, a bit of a challenge so for me you know i i feel i feel confident as a you know visual designer and a, you know ux designer as well okay talk to me about debt bennies what is that i saw it on product time but i want you to kind of explain it to our audience yeah uh so debt bennies is a, a website i've recently launched uh, on product time it's a directory of companies that offer student loan repayment benefits. Hmm. Um, I ended up, uh, I got the idea from my sister, actually, who, uh, you know, actually, shout out to my sister. I just found out yesterday she made it into the Harvard, my younger sister. She's way smarter than me, and she made it into the Harvard MBA program. So nice. I have Congratulations to, to I her. I have to say that. But um, she actually gave me the uh, the idea. She sent me an article about a company that was offering to exchange, uh, it's like PTO or you know vacation time for a student loan repayment. Hmm. And um, and so I never heard of that. And I always wondered why why aren't more companies offering something like a four hundred one k for student loan repayment because as a person who has a lot of student loans myself, it always it always seemed counterproductive to contribute to my 401k, which for me, you know, I see retirement as way down the line. Um, but I'm, what I'm dealing with on a day to day basis is my student loans. And I'd like to put, you know, all the money that I that 
I've contributed to my 401k um, and that the company that I work for has contributed to my 401k. It'd be nice if I could put that in toward my student loans. Mm -hmm. So I actually uh, did some research after she sent me that just to see if there are other companies doing this. And, um, you know, we ended up getting into a little conversation about it. And she said something along the lines of, yeah, this is pretty cool, uh, but I wouldn't know where to find these companies. And um, just from that statement alone, I said, huh, this is interesting. Like, let's see how many companies are out there actually doing this, providing, you know, this type of benefit. And um, as I started digging, I found out that there were, you know, a, a fairly decent amount. It's it's small. Uh, it's still, I think, about 4% mm-hmm. of companies is what the statistic is right now. Um, but of course, with the, you know, growing debt and all the issues around that, it's becoming more of a, you know, a topic of discussion and, and something to consider for a lot of companies. And um, and right now, because it is more of a, a luxury benefit that you won't find everywhere, the names, the, the companies that are providing it tend to be bigger names. So on the website, you'll see you'll see a, a few companies that you recognize. Um, but I decided to basically put that on a on a site because I, I found a lot of online articles where they listed, um, you know, the companies uh, in our in, in, in an article. Uh, but I thought, is there an easy way or is there a place where somebody can always come back to to see, you know, these companies and, and any new companies that decide to offer this benefit? Um, and I personally, you know, I see it as a win win. I'm, you know, advocating that Airbus um, get a, a or consider a benefit like this, mm-hmm. um, because what they say is that for, of course, for the employee, it helps them tackle their student loans. Um, so it's the idea behind that is it, it allows the, the employee to focus less on, you know, what's the next job that's going to bring me more money or like, what can I do outside of my job to make more money to help pay these loans um, and focus more on what they're doing now um, and be more effective in their current role. And for the employer, that's, of course, a benefit because you have employees that are um, tend to be more passionate about what they're doing because they can invest the, those emotional uh, resources that they were putting into um, trying to tackle this this burden of debt and uh, into their companies. And, um, and it's supposed to help with retention and productivity and things like that. So I really see it as a win-win. And I wanted to, you know, to, uh, just build something. I, I just, I just decided like, let me just go for this. You know, it was an idea I had and I usually have a lot of ideas. I put them on paper and I don't, I don't do anything with them. Mm-hmm. I just sort of sit there. And this one, I said, no, I, I have to, I have to do this. So I just, I just put it out there and, um, and making it on product hunt. Cause I follow product hunt. Uh, was a huge accomplishment for me, even though it didn't get a, a whole lot of traction. I think it's only at like 17 upvotes right now, <laughs> but uh, but that's cool. You know, it, it was it was more so being in action and, and taking those steps to get it done. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing if companies uh, will start to offer more things like that because you keep hearing so much about the student loan crisis, the student loan bubble, all of this, but, you know, I think a lot of that has come from the fact that the primary focus for a lot of us, I'd say maybe, you know, 30 and younger or something like that was that, you know, you go to school, you have to like, that's the path, like go to school, get an education, you end up racking up all this debt and then you get out in the workforce and you're like, Oh, I have this job that I'm basically, I basically have the job to pay off for school. You know, it it makes it hard for you to really just contribute and be like a functioning adult Mm -hmm. in the world. Like, Mm -hmm to take off work or to spend on leisure things. You have to think, Oh, well I got to balance this with, you know, with student loan payments and stuff. But I think it's a great idea that companies are starting to adopt that as a, as a perk. I mean, that, that's, that's really something. Yeah. And fortunately, uh, so right now, uh, again, only certain companies are offering this. And a part of the reason, one of the challenges behind it is that um, the taxes, I think you still get taxed on that contribution as income right now. But uh, the government is is trying to pass a bill that basically makes it tax. um, 
I guess you won't get taxed on it the same way. It won't be taxed as income. And that will allow more companies to take advantage of this type of benefit. So hopefully things will change soon and we'll see an uptick in, in the companies that adopt something like this. But uh, but so far, the the response to the ones that have um, created this benefit or implemented it into their companies has been really positive. So I'm, I'm really hoping more companies consider it. I think right now it just makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and yeah, the, the student debt thing, it's a, that's a whole, like we could have a whole nother podcast about this. And me and you could probably go on for hours because <laughs> it's something <laughs> for me that, that really, it, it's an issue that really, you know, that, that really bothers me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, debt bennies is basically my way of contributing to, to a solution. Nice. Uh, so you've been in here now in Atlanta for a few months, um, of course, working at working at Airbus, taking in the city and everything. Have you gotten a chance to experience like the Atlanta design scene in any way? Has there been anything about the city that's kind of appealed to you as a designer? I'm just curious to know that. So I haven't I haven't had a whole lot of time to take in, um, I guess, the design scene. I'm, I'm s- slowly, you know, figuring out uh I, I guess Atlanta and, and the makeup of the city. Um, but I, I will say it is noticeably different from Baltimore. Um, there's just a lot more activity. Mm. So it's a lot more going on. Um, there, there's no shortage of events. You know, the, like Envision tends to host a lot of things. Uh, the meetups here, there tend to be more design meetups. I know back home, I, I said that I joined a, the Baltimore Black Techies, which is more of a tech meetup. And I was one um initially the only designer there and then i think there might have been like one or two other designers that um joined that meetup but uh but that was that was because that's all i could find Mm -hmm. you know i I didn't find too many design meetups there but here you know there are a few design meetups i've I've been to one Uh, i think design systems meetup is one um and uh just the different events that seem to be catered around design um yeah and but like with this like entrepreneurial spin to it which is nice there's a lot of entrepreneurs here in atlanta it seems like Mm -hmm. uh so i kind of like i kind of like that it seems to be um this whole thing where just take advantage of the skill or like hone your skills as a designer to basically build your build something for yourself um, which which seems to be the the general theme of a lot of them. Um, so so yeah, I, I'm starting to figure it out. It, I definitely I went to <laughs> where where I go. Uh, yeah, I went to Reverie, and like you can tell, like the like the people there, it's a different it's a different crowd. Like, and they're creative in a different way, and yeah. not necessarily you know, because I, I I tend to feel like product design is very. Um, is more for like uh, business and corporations. And then there's this other side of it where you have a lot of like uh, creative people who express themselves through like music and, and actual art and, um, and, you know, designing t-shirts and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I'm starting to, to see the different types of design um, that, you know, that show up around the city. Nice. Nice. Yeah. For people that are listening, uh, Reverie, is a, a virtual reality bar. Now, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps? Like they, they're hearing your story right now. What advice would you give them? Uh, so I, I think one, one thing I would say is always uh, strive for progress and not perfection. Um, what happens a lot of times for me is I tend to get caught up in the details, you know, the, the fine details that don't necessarily matter and they prevent me from making actual progress. So, I, like I said, I, I come up with a lot of ideas. I write them down on paper and then I think of all the things I need to to bring this idea to life. And I'll get caught up in things like, you know, as a designer, I'll get caught up in things like branding. Like, what does the logo look like? The logo has to look perfect. Now, how do I apply that to, you know, the business cards and the website? And that's before I have any <laughs> anything else like established. Mm-hmm. That's before I've conducted all the market research and, and things like that. So so for Debt Bennies, again, uh, why this is uh, a huge accomplishment for me is because I, I, I set up these guardrails for myself. And I said, 
I'm going to get this website out. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to have everything I want in it. Um, but I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to see what the response is like and I'll iterate. That's that's the beauty of what we do as product designers is we have the opportunity to iterate. And so um, the goal was to make progress. Don't get caught up in the branding. You know, if you see the branding now, it's very simple. It's just a, a very simple word mark. I didn't try and come up with any logos. I just said, let me throw something out there that looks professional enough where it can at least get somebody's attention, but it doesn't have to be the final thing, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, strive for perfection. I mean, strive for progress, not perfection. And, you know, if, if your like lack of perfection is, is causing inaction, like if you're not able to, to, um, move forward on something, cause you're so caught up in, uh, oh, if this isn't quite right or, oh, I don't have all the pieces yet, then um, then you, you're doing yourself a disservice because um, even even before uh, before debt vennings, uh, a perfect example was my portfolio. You know, um, I, I would get so caught up in in having my portfolio uh, be perfect and have everything it needs to have. And I, I would always, you know, I, I would complete a case study. I would put it up there, um, but I wouldn't make the site live because I would then start looking at other people's portfolios and other designer uh, like case studies and things. And and, and it would kind of show me like what I didn't have. I, I would kind of focus on the things that I didn't have versus the things that I, I did have in my portfolio. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for me, that means I have this this website that nobody can see. Um, and, and I'm basically wasting all this time. I'm working at this company that I know is not the the right company for me at at the time. And I'm not promoting myself, you know, even if the portfolio isn't perfect, if I'm out there, at least somebody can see, you know, what's going on. They can see the progress. They can see the changes, but the fact that there's nothing there, it basically made me invisible to, you know, the, the people that I was looking to get noticed by. Um, so again, I, I had to, I have to learn and it's still something I'm working on, but I really, um, sh- strive for progress and action and moving forward versus perfection because striving for perfection will slow you down. And, um, and it, it really just, it, it prevents opportunities from, um, presenting themselves because you, you're just, like e- even this man, uh, when I saw <laughs> the opportunity to speak with you, I automatically thought, man, what what do I need to know? What do I need to, you know, how how can I prepare for this? Should I push it to a later <laughs> date? You know, all these things that show up just immediately. That you know, if I let it, it it would have it, it would have pushed this interview to you know possibly June. Because I would have always thought there's more that needs to be done for me to be perfect. But I think even now, you know, I'm making progress. I'm I'm going through this interview with you. And I think there's still something that somebody is able to take away from this, um, even if it's not, uh, you know, per- perfection. Oh, I think so. I think so. And and I'm really glad that you said that because you would be surprised how many people that I'll reach out to to be on the show. And. The first response, and this is not to say that they should automatically say yes, mm-hmm. but the first response is usually an emphatic no, <laughs> because they're like, I'm not where I want to be in my career yet, or it's always like, it's always something, or they feel like they're not good enough yet, or and I'm like, no, I want to talk to you exactly where you are in your career yeah. right now, because for me, I mean, I've done almost 300 of these episodes, to me, I want the variety of having people at every different stage in their right. design journey, you know, from the people that are students to folks that are just starting out to mid-career to professionals to icons. I want everybody along the spectrum so people can kind of see where they fall in. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to just be the folks that are at the top of the industry. Like, to me, that's that's boring, mm-hmm. you know. I want folks throughout the whole spectrum, so... 
I hope folks that are listening, when I reach out to you, like, just don't, don't say no automatically. Like, say yes. Like, like I want to talk to you for a reason. I wouldn't have reached out to you if I didn't think that you would be good to be on the show. Right. So like when they talk themselves out of it and I never try to like force anyone. Yeah. So like when they say no, I'm just like, okay. Like I never try to like twist their arm about, oh, I really want you to be on the show. Yeah. It's like, if you don't feel like you want to be on it, that's fine. But like, the chances of me coming back are like slim to none. I'm just going to be honest. Like, cause yeah. I have other people I can reach out to. And if you're not interested, like, I don't want to, it's not, I, I don't feel like it's supposed to be, and maybe I'm a bad podcaster by saying this, but I don't feel like it's supposed <laughs> to be my job to like, you know, force you to come on my show. If you don't want to come on, you just, just don't come on. It's not, it's not that big a deal to me. So, yeah, yeah. um, now on your website, you list three things. You list what you're reading, what you're drinking, and what you're watching. So I'm going to put you on the spot here with a little bit of a kind of a lightning round. So first off, what are you reading? I just ordered a, a new book. I haven't actually uh, started it yet, but it was a, a book that I got. I found doing research for Dead Bennies. And uh, there's a guy, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong. I want to say his name is David Carlson. He just released the ebook um, about student loans. So that's it, something that I... I ordered and um, will be diving into, but haven't started it yet. Okay. Uh, what are you drinking? Uh, still a lot of zest tea. Zest tea is the, that's the hometown tea right there. Oh, really? That's from Baltimore. It is. It is. It's, it's <laughs> actually, uh, yeah, it's, it's from Baltimore. I got exposed to it when I was working at Under Armour. They carry zest tea. Uh, they carry a lot of zest tea. And so um, it's a highly caffeinated uh, tea. They, they call themselves the high octane tea. Um, all the rush without the grind. And so um, the flavors are pretty good. And and for me, it's, it just keeps me going. I, a lot of my friends, uh, they joke that I'm a I'm a narcoleptic and because I, I just I could fall asleep anywhere. And so uh-huh. uh, so having some tea that has, you know, uh, a lot of caffeine, but I don't get that crash that I get from coffee is uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty nice. So still drinking the Zesty for sure. I got Airbus to basically buy some. <laughs> nice. So funny story about Zesty. So for, for people that have been listening to the show for a while, they know that I also used to have a tea podcast mm. that I did through all of 2015. I called it the Year of Tea. And so every day I would review a different tea. There'll be short episodes, like five minutes or less. And the goal is that you'll find out about a new tea and the time it takes you to brew a fresh cup. And I remember Zesty sent me some samples. Yeah. I think they were like just starting out because I looked at it recently. I was like, oh, this is not the same company. Like yeah. they sent me, this is like, I think they were just starting out around 2015 or so. <laughs> right. And they sent me three samples and I reviewed them. And I thought they were, they were mostly pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to drink highly caffeinated tea, too. Like, uh, the tea I drink now is actually from uh, Celestial Seasonings. They have this brew called Morning Thunder. That's like a oh, mix geez. of black tea. <laughs> it's like it's a mix of black tea and uh, and roasted yerba mate, which I've been drinking yerba mate for a long time. It's another one of these kind of... It doesn't have caffeine, but it has some compound that is caffeine-like that oh, gives you yeah. energy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's as much as zest tea is, yeah. uh, but that might be something we're trying. I used to drink this other tea. It's the company doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Radioactivity. <laughs> Cor- corny name, I know. Um, but they and the the tea was like done in this method called CTC, which is cut, tear, curl, and so the tea looked like like instant coffee grinds almost. And you brew it up, and I mean it'll get you going all day. Really? It's it's yeah, it's something else. Um, yeah. <laughs> so lastly, that. yeah, look into that. So lastly, <laughs> what are what are you watching? You know, everybody's always on this uh, Game of Thrones. Uh huh. And I've actually never watched. I, I've watched one episode of Game of Thrones. Okay. And so, uh, so now I'm in the process. Since I, I guess the new season's coming out or whatever. Yeah. So um, I'm starting to watch that, and. Uh, and yeah, that's that's one. I'm like, I'm like, kind of. I guess everybody likes it, so I'm only excited because everybody likes it. But I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really that into the idea of just sitting there and watching Game of Thrones. And I tend to, I tend to like watching shows that are a bit lighter. Like there's a a show on Netflix called Final Table, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a cook off between some of the greatest chefs around the country. I mean, around the world, and uh, 
And man, that show, I get so I get so motivated. Like once I watch that, <laughs> I'm ready to get into the kitchen, you know, whip up a good steak. Uh, I, I love watching that show. Um, so that that would I would say that's one that's like kind of my favorite right now. I actually finished it okay. recently, so that's why I'm moving to Game of Thrones. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What kind of work would you like to be doing? Oh, that's that's a that's a good question. Um, because I I struggle I struggle with that one only because I feel like as a as a designer, our trajectory is always toward a creative director, mm-hmm. and um, and I have a hard time seeing myself in that role where I'm not doing the actual work of design myself. I'm, I'm more like delegating that and sort of, you know, directing it. And I kind of, I don't know, it's hard for me to see myself as not a contributor, but that is ultimately what we we tend to be moving towards. So I, I really, I really am having a hard time. I've always had a hard time answering that because uh, at this stage right now, it just doesn't really appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably one of those things like once you're in it, because I did actually end up talking to somebody who uh, made that transition to creative director. And I asked them, you know, how how did that feel, you know, not being able to do the design work yourself? And um, and they they actually loved it. They said that they almost felt like they had um, they had more control over the design because they're now, you know, they're just not the ones doing it, but it's still their vision. You know, so maybe maybe it would um, work out great for me and I would love being a creative director. But um, as far as, I guess, career path goes, if I'm thinking about working for a company, mm-hmm. um, that's that's what I imagine at some point. But, you know, things like debt venies and and um, working for Tribe, um, that may change everything. You know, like I, I, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And so the idea of working for somebody else. Um, doesn't necessarily appeal to me either. Um, you know, working for somebody else for like the rest of my life, uh, it'd be nice to have something of my own um, and, you know, build something uh, that I'm really proud of. And so mm-hmm. maybe maybe it will be Dev Bennings. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but either way, I think it'll always be um, something around design and, you know, it, it, it really does have to be something I'm just like really passionate about that I, I think makes a difference. And right now, again, Deb Many checks a lot of those boxes for me. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not really sure. I can't say, you know, with confidence what it might be. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll see. We, we can we can reconnect in, in <laughs> years and do another interview, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? My, my website is uh, DexterFerguson.com. Um, you, actually, I, I did just pick up the domain uh, UXDex.co. Nice. So that also takes you there. And uh, that's that's my portfolio. You can you know contact me um, through that contact form on, the, on there. Uh, I also have, I, I am not a fan of social media, so I actually don't have a IG account. Um, I don't have, you know, Facebook or a personal Twitter, um, but okay. I do have a Twitter for Deb Bennies. That's just Deb, you know, at Deb Bennies. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn, you know, just Dexter Ferguson and you'll see product designer. All right. Sounds good. Well, Dexter Ferguson, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, first, I, I think I really like what you had to say about striving for progress, not perfection. Uh, as you have detailed your story about how you learned about design in high school and started, you know, kind of going to college and learning it, and then really kind of seeing where your career has gone since then, I can really tell that this is something that you have a passion for. Mm-hmm. And I hope that while you're here in Atlanta, that, you know, the city inspires you, whether that's entrepreneurially through debt bennies or whether that's professionally through these meetups and such. Um, I don't know. I see a bright future for you ahead. So just, I just want to thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. This is a, first of all, a great platform and I'm, you know, I'm happy to be a, a part of it and able to contribute um, at this point. So that, thank you for the opportunity. Thoughts of love.
And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Dexter Ferguson and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Dexter and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Revision path is brought to you by Glitch, the friendly community where everyone can discover and create the best stuff on the web. Check us out at glitch.com. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. This episode was edited by Keisha T.K. Dutez and produced by Deanna Testa. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or so to do, and it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. Speaking of everywhere, you can also find us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And of course, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Oh, and don't forget about our audience survey. Again, revisionpath.com forward slash survey. The survey ends on May the 1st. We really want to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Let's